Welcome back to episode 5 of the Chain Gang Podcast. And today we have a lot to discuss with the first day of NFL tampering starting and a plethora of NFL free agents flying off boards and some big trades. And quite frankly, I think we all were very excited for this, especially being court. a lot of us being quarantined in our houses, just sitting there, just waiting for anything to just refresh our Twitter feed a thousand times and our favorite team sign a player. <laughs> but let's just jump right into it. And the day started off with the Colts bring back Anthony Costanzo yep, on a two-year, $37 million, or $27 million deal. No, 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 it's two years, 33. 33. I was off on that one, but... For the Colts, this is a great move, and that's because they can keep unity on the offensive line. I'm pretty sure they're the only team over the last two years to have their entire starting unit play each and every game starting together, and quite frankly, that might be the best unit in the NFL, and for whatever quarterback goes to the Colts, you're blessed, you're going to be upright, and you have a great offensive line in front of you. Easy move for the Colts, and a good one. Yep. I mean, Anthony Costanzo came out really early and said, I'm retiring, or I'm going to be a Colt next year. Ball's in your court, Indy. And Indy did the right thing, and they got Anthony Costanzo back. Good deal. Keep that offensive line sure. They're going to be setting a lot of pancake blocks this year for whatever quarterback they get. Exactly. And right after Anthony Costanzo resigned, we had a unexpected trade between the Jaguars and the Ravens, with the Jaguars trading Clays Campbell to the Ravens for a 2020 fifth-round pick. And I think what this tells us is, Jacksonville, you're tanking. You may not say it, Start but you're tank. clearing cap. I wouldn't be surprised if by tomorrow, not tomorrow, by the end of this week, Yannick Ngakwe is on a new team. And the compensation maybe could have been better, but I think the idea from Jacksonville was the right idea. What do you think? Yeah, I think Jacksonville, um, now that they're coming out and saying – well, not really saying, but they basically come out like uh, and have having traded some of their best players in AJ Boye and Calais Campbell. They're tanking. Uh, I think the Ravens got a steal here. Calais Campbell is two years, twenty-seven million dollar extension. He's been a perennial defensive player of the year candidate in the past couple of years. He's been really great since he's been in Jacksonville. He's going to be getting paid now for it too. I mean, he was getting paid before, but this is a good contract extension for him. Good for the Ravens, too. It's going to help their run defense, um, something that they kind of struggled in late in the year. Um, Calais Campbell also is going to bring you double-digit sacks every year, which is huge in today's NFL, especially with Matthew Judon. Um, that defense is going to start getting a lot better to go along with what's arguably the best offense in football, too. Yeah, Baltimore really making an emphasis to not get run over by Derrick Henry two years in a row. <laughs> yep. And this will help that. And Clay's Campbell's exact contract was two years for $27 million. So not breaking the bank, but also you got paid. And I think good move for Baltimore, definitely acquiring talent in a place of need where your Super Bowl window is still open because Lamar Jackson is making not a lot of money. But for another quarterback who can't say the same about not making a lot of money is Ryan Tannehill who just cashed in after coming back out of nowhere, going 9-4, and four, leading the Titans to the AFC Championship. And he cashed in with a four-year, 100 and I believe, $18 million contract today. $91 million of that was guaranteed. Yeah. And take me through your thoughts. 
Yeah, so I think it's personally a lot of guaranteed money, but you had to expect either he or Derek Henry was going to get paid, which everyone didn't get the franchise tag. Um, and it looks like Tennessee decided they want to re-sign Brian Tannehill. They believe he's going to be the quarterback of the future. I mean, I don't think anybody in the NFL saw the Titans going to the AFC Championship game. Um, unfortunately, they lost, but the progress was there. And it looks like they're starting to build a nice little culture there in uh, Tennessee. I mean, going 9-4 and four as a starter is pretty solid, but it is just a small sample size. So they're giving out a lot of money, uh, $91 million guaranteed, $29.5 million a season to a guy in Ryan Tannehill, who's 31 years old, so he's not very young in terms of NFL standards. But, hey, if he's going to keep doing what he did last year, I think it's a great deal for the Titans. But I give it around a B plus, A minus. I mean, in the short term, I think the deal's great because yeah, you're bringing back a guy. But what scares me is when that roster is not looking the same three, four years down the line, and you have fifty million in the books for Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, is he still playing at a high level? Can he win you football games without Derrick Henry running over guys if Derrick goes down with an injury, say an ACL for a year? I don't know, and we won't know until we see Ryan Tannehill continue to play with a bigger sample size. But the Titans did the only thing I think they could have done, and that's lock them up for the near future. Mm-hmm. And moving on to a Tennessee division rival, the Texans made their only move, I think, today that many casual fans of the Texans approved of, and that's re-signing Bradley Roby to a three-year extension worth $36 million. And Roby was very good last year, <clears throat> only playing in 10 games in 2019. But he's only 27 years old, and he had another very productive season. And this was a very easy move for the Texans, and they got great value, I think, here. Yeah, um, I was a big fan of the signing last year because Bradley Roby was former Bronco, first-round pick from Ohio State. Uh, I thought he was pretty solid for the Broncos. Broncos let him walk to the Texans. And then he had a great year last year. He had two passes uh, that he picked off. Uh, he had eight pass, passes defended. And he allowed a 77.4 passer rating when he was targeted, which is a career low for him. So that was pretty impressive. I think he really showed himself in the game versus the Patriots when he picked off Tom Brady last year. And I think just showing that allowed Bill O'Brien to make this move, knowing that he's got Gary and Conley on the other side, who also played really well for them after getting traded from the Raiders. And I think it it was a pretty solid signing. Not a flashy signing, but it's somebody that the Texans need to shore up that secondary. A lot of good uh, players in that division. You got to make sure they have that defensive side of the ball unlocked. Exactly. The Texans have not been a good defensive unit for a long time. And they have to help Deshaun Watson out. That team has let him down the last couple of years. And I think they're going to continue to let him down, which we'll get into. But bringing back Roby was a good move. And another team that brought back one of their key secondary players was the New England Patriots bringing back Devin McCourty on a two-year, $23 million deal. And it seemed that both sides wanted to get this deal done. McCourty anchored an elite New England defense, posting five interceptions with a 41.7 passer rating when targeted, one of his probably best seasons in the last couple of years. And New England... They want to keep that defense together. They knew guys like Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins are going to get big money elsewhere. And they knew a guy, a hometown guy, relatively hometown guy, like Devin McCourty, would be a cheaper option to keep and anchor that defense for the next two years. 
Yeah, Devin McCourty had a great season last year. Like you said, the 41.7 pass rating when targeting when targeted is really impressive, let alone he had five interceptions and seven passes defended. Um, I think he was a great deal for the Patriots because as much of a good player he is, he's a better leader. And when you look at a guy like Tom Brady who might walk, this is going to be your guy that's going to step up and be the leader of the team. He's been there for a long time. He knows what it means to do your job. And I think that was more important in Bill Belichick's mind. Keeping that exactly. Great player, great leader, just a New England Patriot. That's honestly what they've been. He's just the epitome of New England, the Patriots. He's just the typical do-your-job player. And now for what everyone's probably been waiting for it to be discussed, the blockbuster trade of the day. The Maybe Texans... The Texans shipping off DeAndre Hopkins and a fourth round pick for the car to the Cardinals for David Johnson, a twenty twenty second and a twenty twenty one fourth. First impressions of this trade were Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> and Amazing. I think that's because you blew a twenty eight to three lead and you trade away your arguably best player. Reading that Twitter headline, it's not going to go well. And I think the first takeaway was Arizona. How the hell did you accomplish that? And highway take, robbery. It was today. highway Arizona. robbery. And for the Cardinals, getting Kyler Murray a wide receiver one and shipping off David Johnson's contract, which you did not need because you have Chase Edmonds and Kenyon Drake, was everything you wanted to do in one move. They had to part with their second-round draft pick, and they don't have a lot of draft picks. But acquiring a player like DeAndre Hopkins, you can't be picky. Getting rid of salary. They basically match salary. A-plus for Arizona. As for the Texans, Kevin, just take me through what does this mean for this team going forward? Well, you look at Bill O'Brien, and he's somebody that is in a GM role for the Texans because of – well, they haven't really had a GM for a little bit now, and Bill O'Brien's just taking the liberty of becoming the GM. And this is one of his questionable moves. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the Clowney trade last year, but um, looking at this DeAndre Hopkins trade, to me what I see is DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and a 2020 second-round pick. So you're basically getting... David Johnson, a guy who was an all-pro in 2016, probably the best running back in the league that year. And then what happened? You don't really see much production. He got hurt. He had a wrist injury. Hasn't been the same since. Um, and you're basically buying into a player that's uh, that's being sold on potential. Uh, he had a big contract, too. You're actually going to be paying him more money than DeAndre Hopkins. So that that does not seem like a good move in my mind. And the second round pick, that's most likely going to be a player that they're going to have to hit on. And if you don't hit on this pick, I don't know what you're doing. Oh my, we have a problem with Houston. That's going to be a problem. Um, In Arizona, you just won the lottery because you just got your Larry Fitzgerald replacement in DeAndre Hopkins. I believe they're going to have to extend him soon because he said he wants a new deal. But I'm going to play that man. He's one of the best receivers in football. He's one of the most consistent receivers in football. 
And I mean, I saw him play a game against the Jets, and he just mossed people the entire game. He's like 150 yards, two touchdowns. Right then, I remember saying, thinking, him and Julio are two of the best receivers in the NFL, in my opinion. And to have an offense now, an air raid offense that needs a lot of good wide receivers, it's going to have uh, Kenyon Drake, uh, Kyler Murray, Andy Isabella, <laughs> um, Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, the list just goes on and on. They have a lot of young guys. If they can shore up that offensive line, this team's going to be scary for years to come. And my biggest takeaway from this trade was for the Texans to even have made a fair trade, they have to have the best-case scenario happen, and that's David Johnson returns to his old self. Their 2020 second-round pick turns into a wide receiver one, which is not that uncommon nowadays. Top yeah, of the especially rounds, with a good wide receiver class this A year. perennial wide receiver class, to say the least. They have to have both those two things happen for the trade to be even considered to be fair. And that's why, just because of the risk, I'm giving the Texans D plus and the Cardinals an A. Because the Cardinals did not need David Johnson. They have Kenyon Drink, who played very surprisingly well in their system. I'm calling that the Adam Gase curse. But the Cardinals had a low risk here. They got a top wide receiver for nothing. The Texans' head-scratching move, if anything... Hopefully, Texans fans are praying that this will get Bill O'Brien fired, and hopefully they don't waste Deshaun Watson's promising career because he is so good. He's and they're, he is, he's, he's a special quarterback, and they are wasting, ruining his career. It's sad. Sad yeah. to say. If I were to grade the trade, I would probably give the Texans a D, D minus. Can't really give them an F because you have to see what they're going to do with the draft picks. I mean, obviously that entails them hitting on their picks. But what I don't like about the Texans then is they're putting all of their faith and trust that Will Fuller is going to be healthy. He's undoubtedly a great wide receiver. But the problem is, can he stay healthy? And he hasn't proved that. He's been hurt every single year. And that's a problem to me. That's a red flag. That's why I wouldn't personally make the trade. Plus, I also would have needed a first-round pick. Because that eighth overall pick, you take C.D. Lamb, boom. That's a great trade, in my opinion. That's where I think it could have been fair. And for the Cardinals, you get an A-plus because they filled a big need in wide receiver. He's young, too. I think that was just a great trade all around for the Cardinals. Texans, prove me wrong. The only thing I'm going to add before we move on is I don't think the Texans' current wide receiver corp will be the issue. I think it's more David Johnson. I think that the combination of Kenny Sills and – Kiki Kuti, who a lot of people forget about, on top of Will Fuller, that could be it. They that wide receiver corp right there could be just as good as Arizona's. They those three guys all have thousand yard potential, and they just have to put it together. And with more targets, maybe they can. Like best case scenario, the Texans' offense could be even better than it was last year with adding a twenty with adding another skill position player uh, with that second round pick. And if David Johnson returns to form, their running game will be way better than anything they've had in the past. So there's a lot of risk and a lot of uncertainty, and the odds aren't great, so that's why they have a D. But I think it may work out for them. Maybe Bill O'Brien finally got one right. Did he? 
no, but let's not be too pessimistic on a trade that's 10 hours deep in two or months. Time will tell. And moving on to a less crazy move, the Packers brought back Christian, uh, not brought back, signed Christian Kirk, see a middle linebacker from the Cleveland Browns to a two-year $13 million deal. And if anything, this was the writing on the wall for Blake Martinez not coming back. Tell me about what you think about that, Kevin. All right, so Christian Kirksey was obviously cut by the Browns because he was getting paid a lot of money. He got a nice contract extension after he was one of the best linebackers in the NFL two years ago. But since he has struggled to play games, he's been hurt. He's only played 10 games in the last two seasons. Um, He's a guy I think that they can replace Blake Martinez with. Um, If I remember, he's a pretty solid coverage guy. He's not really a great pass rusher. Um, it's going to be hard for the Packers to replace the 114 solo tackles that Blake Martinez put up this year, but he's commanding too much money. This is a cheaper option. I think he's going to be a really great linebacker, great uh, value signing if he pans out to play. But now we got to wait and see what he'll do. Yeah, the the contract was great. It just Kenny put it all together. He has potential, and Green Bay really needs a defense. They defense played much better last year. But Aaron Rodgers is not what he once was, where he was dominant as Patrick Mahomes now. He's still an elite quarterback, but he needs a defense to win. Aaron Rodgers, when he won the Super Bowl, had a top 10 defense. And that's the only year he had a top 10 defense. So Packers got to work on that. Holding them back. I think they had a fair chance to beat uh, a lot of different teams this past season if they had a more consistent defense because they had a couple really good players on defense. It just wasn't, it wasn't getting put together weekly. And that was the biggest problem. Another thing with this Kirksey signing is he's going to be reunited with Mike Pettin, the defensive coordinator for the Packers. And I think that was probably a big reason why he wanted to go back or he wanted, he wanted to play for the Packers. Yeah. And Green Bay's got to fix up that defense because it definitely took strides. And if that defense can come back to elite and Aaron Rodgers can get one more weapon, which we hoped would be Austin Hooper, but it won't be, the Packers are a team to watch out for. They're 13-3, and and they still have a big room for improvement. But moving on to another NFC team that has really fallen off the cliff, and that is the Atlanta Falcons. And quite frankly... The Falcons are teetering between, are we contenders still, or are we pretenders? And this trade for them kind of confused me, but let's get into it. The Ravens gave up Hayden Hurst in a fourth-round pick to the Falcons for a 2020 second-round pick and a 2025th-round pick. And after the departure of Austin Hooper, the Atlanta Falcons gave a high draft pick for a tight end who really hasn't done much. Give me your thoughts on this one. Well, Hayden Hurst is a little bit older, I believe, because I think he was uh, playing baseball. So I think when he came back to South Carolina, he went to the Ravens in the first round. So the potential is there. He's a really athletic tight end, some guy that could really run a lot of vertical routes. And I think Matt Ryan and him are going to fit really well together. So I think this is a very even trade. Uh, the Ravens have a, an abundance at tight end. Um, they're giving up a fourth-round pick along with Hayden Hurst. And I think it was a pretty fair trade because the Falcons are giving up a second-round pick because looking at the fact that they lost uh, Austin Hooper, 
who's now the highest paid tight end in the NFL. I think they probably would have used their second round pick, maybe on a tight end looking like Cole Cole Met Cole Komet. Um, so I think this is a win-win for the Falcons and Ravens. The Ravens are going to clear up a little bit of cap, get rid of their third tight end. The Falcons are going to get a nice young tight end that they can hopefully groom into a great player. And I think they are starting to go into a rebuild mode. And I think Hurst being young enough as is, they can just keep him. He'll fit their timeline better. Yeah, he's better timeline fit than Austin Hooper. Exactly. And the Atlanta Falcons also today released Devonta Freeman and are rumored to release Desmond Trufant, two players that... That's the writing on the wall that they're going to start to Exactly, and two players that really don't fit their timeline of trying to become a younger roster. But hopefully the Atlanta Falcons play the compensatory pick system correctly and they receive a third round pick for Hooper next year. So essentially you're getting Hurst for the difference between the second and the third if all goes well for Atlanta. So not the worst trade, but I'm not too fond of uh, Hayden Hurst, but we'll see what he can do with that rhyme. And now the former Atlanta Falcon Austin Hooper went to the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Browns, did they te- need a tight end? Questionable. Mm-hmm. They didn't. David Njoku's there. Well, actually... Has he lived up they... to potential, though? Not really. But in my opinion, Cleveland, what are you doing? This... I, I think I kind of understand it, though. After, at first, I was really skeptical about this move. Um, now, this was before the uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins trade. So, originally, I was joking with a friend... Um, what are the Browns doing? They got to be the dumbest team in the NFL. You already have a guy like David Njoku who's quite young. Um, first round pick, a lot of potential. I don't even think his rookie contract's expired yet. So, But then you look at a guy like Austin Hooper, you're overpaying. Well, not really overpaying. He's setting the tight end market now, being the highest paid uh, tight end in the NFL, NFL history. And it didn't make sense at first why the Browns would need two good tight ends because they have a gaping hole at offensive line. They, their offensive line was Swiss cheese this year. It was awful. For a team with that much potential, that's what held them back. And this Kevin Stefanski is going to come in. They're going to bring a two-tight end formation almost all the time. You look at the Vikings last year. They ran it with Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph, and it ran it, they ran it to perfection. Both tight ends had a great season. And I think Austin Hooper gives Baker Mayfield a nice security blanket Um up the field so that way it also will help alleviate pressure uh, and double teams for Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham too. David Njoku, I think, could really benefit from this as well. And that Browns offense prove, will hopefully prove to be lethal this upcoming season. See, on paper, it's lethal. But when you look on paper, you usually don't look at the offensive line. And the offensive line is the key to that team. And I think Cleveland has... Quite frankly, I don't think I could ever say this, but fourteen before has too many mouths to feed, and it's hard. It's gonna be hard to cover, but they don't have the offensive line to block for these five wide sets when your offensive linemen are gonna be on an island. And Baker Mayfield's—he's not gonna lie—he's not the most nimble quarterback. Out of college, he seemed a bit more athletic. He's gotten a bit chunkier. I'm not judging, but like Baker's not as mobile as he once was. And I don't know. I just really thought this Austin Hooper signing was impulsive and 
not what they needed. He's not knocking Austin Hooper, but he also has not been able to stay on the field. And if he's he if the talent the talent is there, but I really don't think I see Austin Hooper replicating his twenty nineteen season. So I'll give yeah. I'll give it a B minus. I give it a, a B to a B plus. I mean, if you look at Austin Hooper, he's been quite productive with the Falcons, despite having Mohamed Sanu, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Devonta Freeman, a lot of weapons. So if you look at the Browns in that type of a sense, a lot of weapons, I think he'll still be quite productive. So hopefully the Browns will get their money's worth out of him. Yeah, hopefully. It'll be a very – the Browns are a conundrum, but they're an intriguing conundrum, and I think – we we're all interested everybody, in how that everybody plays out. Everybody loves the Browns. You can't hate them. Yeah, they're our entertainment. Whatever they do, they're America's team. But moving on to a team that is far from a conundrum, the 49ers. He's signing Eric Armstead to a long-term deal, a hefty long-term deal. But this is a no-brainer. Yep. Key part of that Super Bowl defense, Richard Sherman said, Eric Armstead is one of the key players on our team. We cannot replace him. And quite frankly, he's had to keep that Super Bowl uh, team together as how it is. They were so close and an easy move for the defend uh the reigning almost defending champs. Yep. Um I like the signing a lot. I think Eric Armstead is a really good defensive end, defensive tackle hybrid. Uh you knew he was gonna get paid and the 49ers having that lethal of a defensive line as they did, it was either him or they were gonna have to move somebody else and Unfortunately, by keeping Eric Armstead, they had to move on from DeForest Buckner, but we'll get on to that in a little bit. Um, Eric Armstead is a great – he's a big, tall first-round pick they had, and he's a guy that – he's a people mover. Um, he can move a lot of people. He's going to get a lot of sacks. And the 49ers know you got to pay for that, so his contract's going to show. Yeah, and as we mentioned, uh, DeForest Buckner – got sent off to the Indianapolis Colts for a hefty compensation of first-round pick, the 13th overall. And this was a very interesting move. I don't think anyone saw DeForest Buckner on the move today. But the 49ers have a very strong defensive line. And does it open a whole slide hole in the middle? Yes, but that could easily be replaced for a mid-round draft pick. But I think this allows the 49ers, having now two first-round picks, to really attack the part of the team that they feel is the weakest. Because... That roster is very talented, and it's not far away from going right back to the Super Bowl. But now at 13 and 31, you have the draft capital to control the first round, get the players you want. If they need a receiver, they can go get a receiver. If they feel they need a tackle, they can trade up for a tackle. If they feel like they need an impact second-level player like Jeff Okuda, they could try to get players like that. And I think John Lynch likes to be in control of things. He likes to be able to do what he can. In this trade, he gave him a lot of draft day flexibility for a player in DeForest Buckner who is top of his position. But I think John Lynch really wanted to continue to retool this roster as he's only been working on it for two to three years now. Yeah, uh, this DeForest Buckner to the Colts trade was personally my favorite move of the day. Um, DeForest Buckner is a great player. He's not a good player. He's a great player. Um, and the Colts giving up a first-round pick to extend him. They're using their money for a guy they believe is really good. Everybody believes is really good. I think it's a really it's a win-win for both teams. Now the 49ers at pick 13, I could see them going wide receiver. I could see them maybe trading back a little bit, taking a corner, or even take a corner at 13. And who knows, maybe Javon Kinlaw 
or even like a Derek Brown could slip to them and they could luck out, take another defensive tackle on a rookie deal, five years, much cheaper. And you can groom him under a defensive line with Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, D a few Ford. other guys, D Ford. Um, there's a lot of depth on that defensive line. So this was something that they got to use their defensive line to build the rest of their team. And later in the first round, they have a cornerback. And, hey, maybe if they really want to trade up, 31 and 13 for a top 10 pick, take somebody outstanding. I think it's a win-win for both teams. Exactly. It was both teams. I'm going to give an A- minus for that trade. And I just got this notification. Jamie Collins has signed with the Lions for a three-year, $30 million contract. What do you make of that, yep. Kevin? Just right, 9.37, we're recording this, and he just signed with the Lions. Yeah, uh, good signing for the Lions. Matt Patricia, defensive coordinator for Jamie Collins for a while. He knows what to get out. He knows what he's going to get out of Jamie Collins. That was the problem with him in Cleveland. The coaches in Cleveland couldn't get the most out of him, which is really what held him back. He had a resurgent year this year with New England. I think De- uh, Detroit is going to get a lot out of him next year. Um, and another move that I just saw, Marcus Mariota headed to the Las Vegas Raiders. Being a Raider fan, I am personally happy with it. We get a nice veteran backup. Don't have to deal with Mike Glennon fumbling the ball three times in four plays. Um, that was terrible. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of Mariota. He's a guy with playoff experience. I think he'll bring a different type of game to our team. And it's just somebody that can compete with Carr, bring the best out of Carr. I think it's a good move for the team. Yeah, I would agree. I was a fan of the Jamie Collins signing, especially the contract. I was always a fan of Jamie Collins as being more talented than Kyle Van Noy and receiving 21 less on his contract. It was a great value, I think, for Detroit. And Matt Patricia, defense coordinator, who's had Jamie Collins succeed in the past, thinks he can get the most out of him on a Detroit team that could be a sneaky, sneaky good team next year. I like the signing for Detroit and Matt Patricia's defense. But now, going back to a team that seems to always provide us with entertainment and surprising moves, the Cleveland Browns signed Jack Conklin. And quite frankly, I keep saying, say, <laughs> quite frankly, this contract was minuscule to what many expected. I thought that Conklin was going to break the bank. Mm-hmm. Upwards of sixteen, seventeen, eighteen million dollars a year, similar to a Nate Solder contract, and he comes out of this with a three-year, forty-two million dollar contract with Cleveland. I wasn't too fond of the Austin Hooper signing, but this one I was a fan of, and I think Jack Conklin can get right in there and help this Cleveland circus get back into a well-trained offense. Yeah, uh, this is one of the best signings of the day, based on team needs um... and value. And value, Jack Conklin, who was an all-pro his rookie year. Uh, he kind of regressed a little bit with injuries and all that. But I think the Browns got a great uh, edge edge protector in Jack Conklin. Um, especially when your guy, Greg Robinson, goes to Mexico and gets busted with 100 pounds of marijuana. That's another story, but that's just a Cleveland thing. And uh, I hope Jack Conklin will be like his 2016 year. Because he's actually young enough where he'll hit the market again with the three-year contract. So if he's able to prove himself, he can make a lot out of this contract. Exactly. I think he took this smaller deal in hopes of getting that end-of-the-career big payday, similar to Andrew Whitworth with the Rams. But 
The only thing that I would knock on this is Conklin's a much better run blocker, and for a Cleveland team that already ran the ball well and a team that struggled to pass, that's about it. But overall, the signing is one of my favorites of the day, and I'd give it an A+. plus. Yep, i give it an A. And then the Browns make another signing. This one a little more questionable. Yeah. Case Keenum. I like it, though. Case Keenum signed with the Browns for a three-year, $18 million contract. And Case Keenum is a very competent backup. But I just think this is a lot of money for a team that is highly invested in Baker Mayfield. And I just didn't see it. I think there are much cheaper options out there. And if Case Keenum ever sees the field, as the Philadelphia Eagles showed us, he can't win you a playoff game. And I just don't see the purpose of this deal other than teaching Baker Mayfield how to be a mature individual. And $20 million for babysitter seems like a lot. Well, I mean, on a six-year or a $6 million a year average, I think Case Keenum is going to come in as a guy who knows this uh, Stefanski system really well. He thrived under it. His best career year is under Stefanski. So if Baker does show regressions again, I think it's a good value signing because who knows, maybe Case Keenum will take form like he did in Minnesota because, like you said, the Eagles showed us that he couldn't win the big game. But the week before, he did beat the uh, New Orleans Saints as uh, Viking uh, tradition showed. But uh, I I liked it. Other than the fact they paid a lot of money for a backup, the Browns did have an issue last year at quarterback. And who knows, maybe if Case Keenum comes in, and, um, yeah, if Case Keenum comes in and can feed Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, the list goes on and on. Maybe they got a cheap guy who can do what they need him to do and provide a lot of wins. Who knows? And, yeah, I mean, Case Keenum, I'm not knocking Case Keenum. I think just the issue is the money. I wasn't too fond of the money. I think it's a lot of money for. They overpaid for him. They overpaid, and who knows? Maybe, maybe he had a bigger suitor. Maybe there. Baker goes down, and this and the contract's actually worth it. But I'm giving it an F just because I don't think that's worth the money. No, that's not worse than the Texans trade. I'm giving him a give him a B minus. Oh, that's generous. I would not give them a B minus for that. B minus to C plus. I think that's solid. Just. If it wasn't as expensive, it's one of the better signings because of the inconsistent quarterback play. And a guy that, if he proves that he's a system quarterback, that's a great deal. He's one of the best backup quarterbacks. But they did pay a lot for him. A lot. I mean, we will see what he does there. But another player that was honestly overpaid, Graham Glasgow, signing with Denver Broncos at guard. $44 million contract for a guy. He's been good. He's been, he's a young, versatile lineman. He can play center and guard. And he's going to keep Drew Locke upright, but that seems like a lot of money for a player that I do not see as a good interior lineman. A great interior lineman. Yeah. Um, he wasn't great, but he's solid enough. And I think this is a case of a fairly thin offensive line market and the Broncos knowing that they needed to get somebody to help shore up their offensive line in a division full of good pass rushers. I think they overpaid a little bit for him, but that's what you got to do when you got to get somebody to fill a position of need. Yeah, and I think the Broncos really have to prioritize fixing up that offensive line, especially with an offense that hasn't done anything in recent years. 
with a quarterback that looks somewhat promising and some skill positions that are starting to take shape, this Denver offense could be getting not back to Peyton Manning days, but they're trending in the right direction. They are trending in the right direction. Yeah, and hopefully he can Glasgow can continue to improve on his young career. But moving on to my favorite team, the New York Giants. They waited a long time oh. today, and they finally made a splurge purchase in James Bradbury. And well, if you don't count the Leonard Williams. I mean, that was a given. I think Leonard Williams and the Giants are going to re- reach an extension worth about 10 to $12 million per year in the next couple of days. But Giants bring in James Bradbury. And I would say I am not in love with this signing, but I'm also not hating on it. I like Bradbury as a player. I think he's a very good cornerback. He's gotten better each one of the seasons, and he's only 26 years old. The Giants signed him to a three-year, $45 million deal, so he'll be signed until he is 29. In his 2019, he balled out. He allowed one touchdown on 76 targets and a passer rating of 63.5. And the Giants are banking on Bradbury taking that next step to almost that top-tier cornerback one. He was a cornerback one last year, shadowing some of the best receivers in the NFL. In in division, Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, he manned all of them up last year and covered them well. Is the contract hefty? Yes, he's getting paid a good amount of money. But as that will happen in free agency, all these guys are overpaid. But I think you're getting a young player that has played very well over his career, been consistent, and I think it will help shore up a Giants defense that just frankly needed someone to cover guys as guys ran wild in their secondary last year. I'm giving it a B. Um, yeah, I'd give it a pretty average uh, average deal. Um, I personally don't think he's one of the better – like he's more of just an average cornerback in my opinion. Um, he did, he has been improving every year, so I think the Giants are giving him a lot of money in the hopes that he'll turn out to be a really great player. I think I think it was a Dave Gettleman. Pick, it was a Dave Gettleman draft pick in Carolina. Yep, that's why. And <clears throat> I just don't see the money though. Fifteen million dollars a year is a lot, especially like he's got to be the number one cornerback for the New York football. And he guys. will be the number one cornerback. He's the number one cornerback. He, will he was the number one cornerback on Carolina. And I think it's a good scheme fit as well, as Bradbury manned up the best receiver every single game. And Baker is in a man-up press, the second receiver on a lot of teams in the NFC East. And I think these two guys are going to help anchor a secondary that looks a lot better than it did at the beginning of last year with Bradbury, uh, Baker, and Ballantyne, and Jordan Love, and I'm blanking, Jabril Peppers. That's a much better secondary than the Giants walked into 2019 Here's where I see the problem is and why I don't give this a better contract. Because I think the fit is a great fit. I think the Giants are trending in the right direction with the players they want to bring in. But James Bradbury is going to be the third highest paid cornerback in the NFL. And I don't think he's made a Pro Bowl. He made the Pro Bowl last year. He did? did. Okay. All right. But... (laughs) He's the third highest paid quarterback in the NFL. He's not better than Patrick Peterson. He's not better than Kyle Fuller. He's not better than Stephon Gilmore. 
He's not better than Joe. Oh, Hayden. and I'm not arguing that he's better than any of those players, but I'm saying by the time it's this third year of the contract, Bradbury won't be a top 10 paid cornerback anymore because his deal is going to get beat by three more guys next year and three more the following year. That is true. I just think it was a little bit too much. Uh, I, I just... I just see him as a 79 overall normal dev guy. Oh my god. <laughs> no. I, I I think he's a great, I think he's a average number 1 cornerback and I think the Giants are hoping he can really get into that pro wall every year level with this new Joe Judge system. I think the money is a lot for this year, but I think the following year and the year after that his contract's not going to be bad. He should be hitting his prime this year and the following couple of years. And I think in free agency, you're always going to be paying a little bit too much money. But I can see this contract panning out for the Giants as the one thing they have going for them. It's a three-year deal, and the shorter contracts in free agency genuinely turn out to turn out better. Yeah. Um, one last thing in the James Bradbury deal. Um, I, I'm sure it's front-loaded because they yeah, it is front-loaded. I'm pretty sure money up front. And I'm sure there was another team that was bidding on it, which probably would have made it such a high contract because he is probably he's one of the better free agent corners this upcoming. Probably class. second only behind Byron Jones. Probably second behind Byron Jones, um, who our next player is. Yeah, and Byron Jones breaking the bank with the five-year, eighty-two point five million dollar contract with the Miami Dolphins, number one and corner in the NFL. Byron Jones was linked to a lot of teams: the Giants, Raiders, and Eagles, primarily. And Miami just sneaks in there and snags him. And I think the talent is not an issue here, but this contract for a man who has had one interception, I want to say, in five years, he's two in his, two in his career, is outrageous. You're going to be paying him $16, 17000000 million when he has had two interceptions in his career. He may cover well, but he doesn't take the ball away. And comparing this contract to James Bradbury – Paying $40 million more for a player that is definitely better, but I do not think the margin of uh, skill is $40 million. And I think the Dolphins, they went out and signed a lot of players today, and the Dolphins, I think, just really crap shot their free agency today. I was not a fan of what they put out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Byron Jones deal, I, I heard it was actually, a, it came down to. The Las Vegas Raiders and the Miami Dolphins, both tax, uh, no-income tax states. Uh, I think Byron Jones is more in it for the money. But if you do look at this signing, Miami's paying for a position that they want to lock down. And they're actually going to have the two highest-paid cornerbacks in the NFL, Byron Jones at $16.5 million a year and Xavier Howard at $15 million a year. Uh, I think it's really important that the Dolphins got who they wanted to get. And Byron Jones is obviously somebody they really wanted. And it looked like Byron Jones wants to be there too. But when you look at Byron Jones, you can't compare him based off his interceptions because that's not his game. He's more of a guy that's going to go unnoticed. He's a guy that's going to be a physical cornerback. He's very athletic and talented in that regard. He's also a great cornerback. He only allowed four touchdowns last year, which is really good. And that's going to be something that's really important in a division that doesn't really have that many great receivers especially if a guy like Robbie Anderson leaves. And if Tom Brady leaves, I think the Miami Dolphins could really have a resurgent year and potentially take over that division. They ended the year on a great, on a great run. They got three first-round picks. 
And who knows, maybe these signings are all players that our system fits and could have really good fits on the team. Yeah, I don't think Byron Jones' talent's a question. I just think that that contract's absurd. And there's no doubt Miami's going to have a very improved secondary this year. Are we having one of the best one-two corners combos in the league? But I just think $33 million a year to tier two starting corners, they better be taking that ball away. I would better be seeing some pick sixes down in Miami this year. But... They better be a top five fantasy defense. They, exactly. Defense. They're gonna, they put a lot of money into that defense today. And another team that's put a lot of work into their defense today is the Baltimore Ravens. And now this contract was one, honestly one of my favorites of the day. They signed Michael Brockers like a lot to a three-year $30 million deal. And Brockers has been very, very good. And he's, he's, efficient. he's efficient. Exactly. For a Rams team that has a lot of big names, he kind of flies under the radar. And Adding him to this talented defensive front with Matthew Judon, Clays Campbell, Brandon Williams, I think he's going to fit right in and be uber productive. And this defensive line is scary right now. And $10 million a year annually, that's a price tag that even Leonard Williams was rumored to be around even a little bit more. And I think Brockers is at least the player Leonard Williams is. They're very similar. They both get a lot of the dirty work done, and they don't show up in the stat sheet as much. But... I think the Ravens got a steal here. Yeah, uh, I think the Ravens are really assessing a a want for this offseason, and I'm giving them – they're probably my favorite team for what they've done this offseason. Uh, I think Michael Brockers, Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams, and Matthew Judon are all going to be able to get so much pressure up the middle, and that front seven is going to be unreal next year. I'm really excited to see what they're going to do. On paper, they might be my favorites uh, in the AFC, them or the Chiefs. But this Michael Brocker signing is one of the most underrated signings. He's been a good contributor to that Rams defense for a little bit now. And the Rams only having $20 million in cap is really hurting them. Bad contracts to uh, Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks are really limiting them right now. And Jared Goff. And Jared Goff, yeah. I think the Ravens honestly nailed it out of the park. For a team that was so dominant Absolutely and bringing in so much talent today on not even bad contracts. They're only getting better. They got better. And watch out. The Ravens might be in for a 17-0 season. You heard it here first. But a team that may have had the meme contract of the day, the Chicago Bears, what were you doing? Oh, my God. This is terrible. What are you doing? Jimmy Graham is old. He's not good. This guy's hands are literal stone bricks. Like, I'm just cracking up my good. chair right he's now. Been washed. He's been washed since he was in Seattle. I don't know why you're paying him that much money. I don't like the signing at all. I'm giving him a D. Uh, Chicago I, continues to confuse me. They Chicago, don't bring in a quarterback. They sign a... You need a quarterback. You need a quarterback. Mitch Trubisky is your tight end. You didn't need to sign Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is not your tight end. Your tight end is Mitch Trubisky. Move him to tight end. He'll be a better tight end than all these guys. And they're... Trey Burton, inefficient. Adam Shaheen has not done much. <laughs> Jimmy Graham, old, washed. I don't care. He's not very good anymore. This is a bad signing. You need other positions, not This is a straight-up F. I don't even care if the contract's small. <laughs> You're F. wasting money. Matt Nagy, what are you doing? You're an offensive coach, and this is one of the worst offenses in football. You let my Oakland, former Oakland Raiders destroy your offense. Our defense was arguably the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. That was so bad. Bears, what are you doing? Get rid of Mr. Trubisky. Blow up the offense. Let Allen Robinson get a good quarterback for once in his career. 
Free my man, Allen Robinson. Yeah, this Please. was pathetic. I'm giving it an F minus. I'm giving it a Bill O'Brien. That's my grade for this. Bill O'Brien. You get a Bill O'Brien. Yeah, it was bad. Oh my god. Oh my. Terrible. And we just got word that the Raiders have formally announced that they are signing Marcus Mariota. Just a note. Yeah. No. Uh, no word on how much the deal is worth, but I'm actually I'm intrigued. With it. We'll see. I hope it turns and out. Hope it's on a Case Keenum like contract. Moving on to some of our later Hopefully free designings in the day. Javon Hargrave signed with the Philadelphia Eagles and highest paid nose tackle. Highest paid nose tackle. And this is a guy who's been very good on the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's, he's very productive. And I think it's I like the sign. I like the signing too. And I think it's he got a lot of money, three years thirty nine million, which is a lot. But if he can step in next to Fletcher Cox and wreak havoc in the middle of offenses, I think we've learned really from like a lot of Super Bowl teams is that interior pass rush Maybe be the most important part of the defense. Look at Chris Jones and Frank Clark and what they did. And I think Philly trying to replicate that with Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave might really get Philadelphia's defense back to what it was. And quite frankly, he's 27, and he could have a breakout year this year. He's one of those players that I like the potential there. I think this is one of the fragments where you actually could reasonably say he may take the next step. I really like Javon Hargrave. I feel like every Steeler game I put on, I see him putting uh, putting a lot of pressure up the middle, and that can't go unnoticed. The defensive interior pass rush is something that the Eagles specialize in, and now you're going to have Derek Barnett, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave. The list goes on and on. I think Javon Hargrave's going to have a lot of fun in uh, Philly. I think they're trying to build something to emulate the 49ers. And I think Javon Hargrave is going to have a breakout year, like you said. Um, I mean, fly, Eagles, fly. This defensive line is going to be good next year as long as they can stay healthy. I mean, that team is made of glass. Yeah, and now with our last free agent signing of the first day of tampering, the Dolphins bring in Kyle Van Noy for a four-year, $51 million contract. And to be honest, I was not a fan of this deal. This Van Noy is a typical New England player mm. that fits so well into their talented defense around him. Great in the scheme. And you're going to a lackluster Miami defense for $12.5 million a year, I think that comes out to. Oof, that's a D for me. And I just, I just don't get. Miami really wanted to spend their money. It showed in this contract. I have a problem with, and I just don't think, I think it's a, I think he's a complete boss how Collins went to, Cleveland and he was terrible. I see that with Van Noy, and they have a lot of money locked into him. So hopefully Brian Flores can replicate that production. But if he can't, this one's going to be a tough one as well for a Miami team that spent a lot of money today. Yeah, um, Kyle Van Noy is somebody that, like you said, he's a typical Patriots player. They traded a six-round pick to the Lions for him a few years back. Since then, uh, Patriots have been very thrilled with the production they've got from him. Uh, he's a typical Patriots player, but there is the upside that Brian Flores was the linebackers coach in uh, New England who got the most out of him. So him going back, being reunited with Brian Flores, it brings a veteran and leader leadership presence to the Miami Dolphins. We're a very young team. And like I said before, I think the Miami Dolphins are really going to be a team to watch next year. I'm really excited for the future that they have. And I think they just – they bring a lot of excitement and youth to the table with a good mix of veteran presence. I mean, some of the deals they brought today were very questionable in a sense, 
But you can see what they're trying to do because as a team that wasn't good, you have to overpay for some guys because it's hard to attract people to teams that go 4-12 and and are in a rebuilding phase because you have to give them incentive to come and play for you. Okay, and one free agency signing we just missed out on that. The New York Jets brought in George Fant. George Fant. And this contract is a lot of money for a player that I don't really know. Three years, $30 million. It's a lot. For a tackle that is yeah, uh, tell me about him, Kevin. I'm not the biggest guy. So for this one, George is a guy that has a lot of potential. Um, Seattle's used him a lot in the past, I believe. No, that was Gary Gilliam. Never mind. I was gonna say I think he might have been the guy that caught the uh, the touchdown pass from John Ryan in the NFC Championship a few years back. That was Gary Gilliam, but. He was only flagged for one penalty across 400 snaps in 2019. Is it worth the $30 million? No. I'm not sure. But this is a Jets move. Like I just said with the Dolphins, you have to pay for guys to come and play for your team when you don't have the, the luxury of a winning program. And the Jets, I think they're very close to turning it around. They had a resurgent end of the season. They finished 7-9. and nine. I mean, they did have an easy end of the season, but who knows? I think the Jets know what they need. Um, they're at a prime spot in the draft to pick 11. I think George Font could be somebody that, hey, maybe he'll turn out to be something great and it'll be a great signing for them. It was a risky move by the Jets, and I really think that they're taking a shot in the dark here. Tackles are hard to find, and they have to shore up that offensive line. I don't blame them, it's a... but it feels like a move driven by need. And those don't always work out to be the best. Time will tell yeah. on that one. That's a very heavy decided I think period. One last thing about George Font, the signing. It's a very thin offensive line free agent market. The best of the offensive line this offseason is going to come through the draft. And the Jets are just getting insurance in case they miss out. But I feel like they're going to want to go either wide receiver, tackle, or pick 11. They can decide their fate. They might have to trade up. But this is just ensuring that they have something better than what they had last year. Exactly, because Sam Darnold needs to be on that field for that team to do well. And that concludes the first day of NFL. I guess we'll call it free agency. A lot happens, and there's still a lot to come. A lot of... And... Where will Tom Brady Exactly. Come? wonder if we'll find out that soon. And stay tuned. We will be releasing an episode like this basically every night of free agency. So just... Listen to us on Spotify and Anchor, and we will have these. Make sure to follow the Twitter and Instagram as well. Instagram, uh, Gang underscore podcast, and Twitter, chain underscore podcast. Exactly. You'll have up-to-date posts throughout the day there, story polls, and just st- you got to keep listening because for is going to be a crazy, crazy week, and we'll set up the draft very nicely. So hopefully. Stay tuned. This free agent week turns out to be just as good as it was today. And stay tuned for the rest of the week to catch us on episode six, seven, and eight discussing future free agent plans.